Hi, this is Robert Rankin Walker. You're listening to Chords and Vines on 10 Temecula Entertainment Network. This is Cat Ellis, and I am the host of Chords, Spines, and Dines, and I'm with my co-host, Mr. Tom Plant. Good afternoon. Happy Sunday. And our beautiful, and keeps us on track, <laughs> our, Full-time job. our executive producer, Gaya Norvell. And we've got a wonderful show lined up for you today. What were we just listening to? We listened to Pulp Vixen, Chrissy Raz, Rasp, Scott, <laughs> Chrissy Raz. Easy for you to say. I know. I but, was so sorry I couldn't be in on that interview, but it was kind of in the middle of the day and I was at my day job. <laughs> but anyway, Chrissy is, um, it was a fabulous interview with Chrissy. I've known her now for several years, uh, known of her a lot longer than several years, but in the last few years, gotten to know her and the band really well. Um, and they have just come so far. I love their music. We've known her through a few different bands that she's been in, but Pulp Fiction has been a long time, and they're here to stay, and she has a rather large announcement to Uh, make. Yes, I'm excited about that. And then after her interview, we're going to listen to one of their originals called Spread Love, and we'll talk more about that after the song. Gaya, we've we've got Rock and Roll Hall of Fame notes coming up here we've got some people nominees what the do you think? Uh, nominations were announced just this week weren't they Gaya? yeah they were and i was kind of fascinated that to be eligible for the nominations an indiv- individual artist or band must have released its first commercial recording at least 25 years prior yeah so that means you've, you've got longevity you've been doing this a long time Let's um, I'll, let me introduce the nominees for 2023, and then I will editorialize a little bit on uh, what I think. Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, Iron Maiden, Joy Division slash New Order, Cindy Lauper, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden, The Spinners, A Tribe Called Quest. The White Stripes, 
and Warren Zevon. Cat thoughts? Well, I I agree. Uh, there's a few on there that I'm not real familiar with, but I think all the other ones I'm in total agreement with. Warren Zevon, a no-brainer. No-brainer. Willie Nelson, uh, George Michael, Cindy Lauper, uh, Cheryl Crow, absolutely. Iron Maiden. Yep. Iron, um, the White Stripes. The Spinners. Okay. A Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, haven't heard of them. And here, a group that I am that is near and dear to my heart, Little Feet, been around since 1969. Um, just amazing musicians, founded by Lowell George, who is uh, Bonnie Raitt said she when he died, she said, "I miss Lowell more than I miss being six years old." And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, and uh, Bill Payne on keyboards, uh, who's still with the band. Um, You've heard him on uh, works with uh, Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. That's him playing piano. These guys have produced nothing but fabulous music. Uh, Waiting for Columbus, considered by many to be the greatest live album of all time, and they get passed over year after year after year. So that's my little rant. I think you should start a campaign. There's a Facebook page called Little Feet Deserves Induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Even, even Rosemary thinks so. Rosemary, you agree? You agree, huh? <laughs> Our uh, chords, vines, and dines. Wonder dog. Wonder dog. Um, no, I think seriously, maybe we should get involved with the campaign. Yeah, let's. Wouldn't let's, wouldn't hoit. I think our Facebook friends should write to us on Facebook, and we'll we'll go ahead and put a post out to ask you who you think should have been there. And as of today, we are now uh, an official podcast. You can find us on Amazon Music, and we're uh, working on getting launched out to Spotify, Pandora, Apple, uh, um, podca- Apple Podcasts. We're trying to get us out on every platform there is. Is that sort of like being syndicated? Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> but going big. That's cool. So, Good work, Tom. Thank you. Let's yeah. listen to our conversation with Chrissy Rass. You've got one heck of a bio on there. You're you're the chick jagger of some girls of the Rolling Stone experience, and then um, you're well. You're the drummer, also. I mean, I don't even know where to start about with what you're doing. Have you figured out what you want to do when you grow up yet? <laughs> well, interesting that you should put it that way, Kat, because I honestly had this midlife crisis type of event when my father passed away um, in 2008 and I kind of re-looked at my life. I was a successful uh, um, division director for uh, a residential construction company, home, home builder. Of making a lot of money, and I had my family, and we lived in a really great house, and we had lots of stuff. And then my dad passed away, and I was very, very close with my father. He actually lived with us at the end of his life, and uh, and it just made me like his. La- I always like to tell people his last gift to me, and there were many over my lifetime, but his last gift was just that reminder to you know grab life by the horns don't wait for another day don't do something you're really not passionate about you know don't don't um you know create objections or justifications why you're not doing exactly what you want to do so at the moment that my dad passed 
Uh, I grieved terribly um, for quite some time. And then as I came out of it, and everyone can kind of understand this, anyone who's lost someone, grieving is not just this cycle every day gets better. It's like these waves that come and go. And, um, but, but, you know, after a time, I turned my grief into, um, you know, this focus on, okay, I could go at any time, and I'm going to make my life look exactly the way I want it to look. I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm not going to allow my fears to stop me, because I feel like fear is what stops most of us. And I'm just going to go for it like my dad lived his life. And that is really, he is really um, what prompted me to change my life at that moment. So when you ask me, what do I want to be when I grow up? I went in reverse. Instead of doing the obligatory responsible thing, which is, you know, join the corporate world and get myself right into the middle of the rat race and pay a mortgage and go to work every day and, you know, kids go to daycare because I'm at, I'm at work and I can't pick them up or take them, uh, I just changed everything. And it took a few years to do so, but I can tell you, without hesitation that every day I wake up I'm grateful and I know that I'm living my best life and that's really what it comes down to kitty cat you are just totally amazing with everything you're doing what you you're with all you've got going you've got your music school and you've got a lot of students and um and you own your life Chrissy I know that's the best part about it and I honestly if I could say there's one thing in life that I want to do is I just I want to help other women make the same changes in their life. I mean, I do I share what I do like via music. Music is the way that I connect with people, but it's really about being in service to others. You know, like really helping, because that's our job, is to live in service to human, the human race. That's that's how I personally feel about my life and all of our lives. I feel like when we're young, we learn and grow, and we have people that take care of us, hopefully, and show us. And then when we get older and we excel at certain things, at a certain point, it's our responsibility to share those gifts with the human race. And that is what I want to do. I want to be empowering. If there's anything that Kitty Cat wants to do, girlfriend, I am here to help you do it. And that's how I want to live the rest of my life out. Um, and you've got Roseanne there with you. I know. I'm so lucky that my partner in life is also my partner in music. And um, that we found this compatible way as different as we are um, to move forward and make music our, you know, our priority and make money doing it, help others, you know, giving them the tools so they can use music as well um, if they are having a rough time in their life. I tell you what, if I didn't have music, I don't know where I'd be. And I want everyone to have that outlet, um, regardless of what people think their skill set is if they I could never sing I could never play that I could never do that I feel like um, I am good at helping people see their own uh, 
brilliance that, that we sometimes just don't see it ourselves. We just, I don't know, I, I, is it women? What do you girls think? Is it women that are just socialized to, you know, kind of talk down what we do well and not be confident and not, you know, speak? I mean, I'm not sure exactly what what variety of things make us behave in the way that we do, but I feel like I am good at helping people find out, you know, where they shine. Well, I think, like, your dad, losing your dad was a huge motivation for you. And exactly. I, I yeah. think, too, losing um, my husband's like I did. I know you've gone through so much trauma, and look at how resilient you are. Well, it's and motivation. Yeah. They, they yeah. gave us that. You know, you've got yeah. one way you could either just sit and sit in a corner in a fetal position sucking your thumb all the time, or right. you could just keep moving on. And I think uh, that's what I've done, and I think exactly, you know, I can totally relate with what you were doing uh, after losing your dad. It just helps you focus, doesn't it? It does. It gives you more perspective in your life, what you yep. want to accomplish, what you want to do, and what what makes you feel good. Yeah. I So I am grateful for that. And, I mean, I'm lucky. I didn't have loss at an early age, right? Like, you know, the natural order of things, you lose your parents. but And so I know that everyone experiences these losses, but it sure threw me for a loop. So I completely empathize with everyone, you know, who has faced that loss of someone super or people that are super important to them. And it's so easy to just go, like you said, Kat, you know, just I'm just going to go ahead and hide in my hole and I'm going to be sad and I'm going to think about all the ways that life has been tricky and all the things that it's taken from me. Or you make a decision to, you know, pull yourself up and keep going. I mean, I have children, so obviously for me to end it, you know, to end it all would never be a like a solution for me because I know that I'm responsible for at least two other people that are on the planet so my you know I have a responsibility to them to take care of myself and be a good role model and help them succeed whatever that means to them in their lives so it wasn't just me think I'm so thankful I have my children because they were my strengths because I had to be strong for them yeah I, I had to do the same thing so I understand that completely and moms rock i know we do (laughs) (laughs) what we do for our kids and and what we have to do for them uh and and it comes back around because it makes us want to keep keep going and like you said be the role model and you are such a role model really for so many so many kids and and adults i hope so uh, with your, your CR music school. How long ago did you start that? You know, that's interesting. Um, I've been teaching music since 2000, I think 12 or 13. Um, and I did a few lessons from home, but I mostly worked for music and arts. So, um, and music and arts is owned by Guitar Center. So, um, anyways, at the when we shut down, when everything shut down in 2020, 
They completely shut the store down. They did not offer any online lessons. They didn't offer any infrastructure. And they just said, sorry, teachers, you're on your own. So um, Rosie, who has been teaching for like 30 years or 25 years, um, we just decided, hey, we have all these students. We just pivoted. And I said, I'm going to start this company and you and I are going to teach under our company's name and we're going to offer virtual lessons until it's safe to get together with our students again. And, um, you know, some of our students were really, like the families were really scared because a lot of them were losing their jobs, you know, because they couldn't work for, you know, like they're all that, you remember everything that happened to all of us. And so... Sometimes we had to put some. I, I put some students on scholarship. Like I just told my families, listen, I'm going to continue to teach your children because I really feel like they need it. And at the point when you guys feel like you can afford it again, if that day comes, fine, you can start paying me for lessons. But I don't want. It's already bad enough for everyone. I don't want my my little babies to suffer. Um, because we're going through this historical shutdown that was just unprecedented, you know. And so our business just grew from there. We took a leap of faith, and uh, we didn't need to go back. And actually what ended up happening is our business grew more than we could possibly think. And now, of course, we teach um, online, but we also teach in person. Um, we've converted our home into a home studio. We have two studios going on all week long for lessons, and we also have other instructors. Um, we brought on Jonathan um, Giglio as a drum instructor. Um, we also have Tommy, who um, teaches drums for us, um, and we have uh, another guitar teacher. So we've just grown. Um, since then, and we genuinely love what we do. And with this band program, I guess what started evolving was because we've been a cover band and a pretty successful one over the last decade, we felt like we were uniquely suited to share that information with our young students that had expressed you know, have expressed an interest in playing music as a career or, you know, as a hobby, as, as they, you know, transition into adulthood. And we learned a lot. I, le- I didn't know, I didn't know anything, and I was about to use a four-letter word, but I didn't know anything <laughs> about being in a band um, when I started. And I just learned from scratch. I asked people questions and, you know, just have over a decade of experience now So we just felt like we could share that information with people who were interested in doing the same thing. We could save them a lot of time, heartache, and energy, and give them some shortcuts on on ways that it works. And our method, we've been doing it now for like seven years. Uh, We just started our first student adult band. And I tell you, our methodologies have been proven time and time again. So we're, we're thrilled that we get to use what we know and help other people, you know, reach their goals. Oh, that is just awesome. I love that. And how, how can you teach drums online? That's got to be something. <laughs> but you know what? That delay kills you, right? But you, it's, it's all about the technical, you know, okay, I'm going to show you this part. 
stop, okay, your turn, like, you know, that type of back and forth. So there are some limitations um, to teaching online um, that creates challenges. Um, However, it also gives us an opportunity to connect and get together when, you know, someone's sick, guess what? We don't have to worry about getting someone else sick. We can still meet. And it's okay if I'm sneezing on the phone because I'm not going to hurt anyone else. So there are pros and cons to, you know, being in a virtual lesson room. So tell me about about uh, Pulp Vixen. How did so you come up with that idea? <laughs> my bread and butter. So... Um, when I started the band, you know, I've, I've been playing the piano. I was classically trained on the piano. My mom forced me to take music lessons. Um, and I started when I was six years old. And it, I like, um, at first I liked it because I was young and I loved music and I was good at it. But then as I got older, like closer to my teenage years, I started really resisting. And it was this, and it was just, it got very, um, disciplined and stressful. I had to adjudicate. I had to compete. I had to test often. And it was a very individual and isolating uh, sport, if you will. And so I didn't love it. However, it did help me win a lot of scholarship money um, to college. I was in like the Miss America pageant program, and there's this talent portion of it. And there were lots and lots of dancers and singers, but not very many uh, pianists. So I was able to win some scholarship money, um, which I needed help with because I went to SC right out of high school my freshman year. And it helped my parents, actually, more than me. Um, So when I started, so fast forward, um, when I started this band, I had never worked with other musicians before. So <clears throat> it was quite a learning curve. I na- I didn't think too much about my brand. I didn't think too much about my name. And I was just happy to have, like, warm bodies. Like, is there a female who wants to be in a band with me? Come on down. Let's rehearse. You don't know how to play an instrument? Well, here, try this one. Like, literally. It was like a soccer mom band. We laughed. Mm-hmm. We laugh about it um, because I just did not know what I was doing. Um, but over the years, um, it started to become quite serious, and I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to keep elevating. So I would say the biggest change that actually helped me become a really pro band and a professional product was when I rebranded the band uh, in 2019, I changed the name, I changed the lineup, and I presented this group of very talented, experienced, seasoned professionals. And that made the difference. And so I'd say for the last, you know, four and a half or five years, or maybe three and a half or four years, is when we really reached kind of our zenith and our sweet spot and you know we're playing shows that we want to play we're getting paid what we're you know we have i'm not undervaluing us anymore you know scared to ask for what i think we're worth because the you know the same fears that keep you oh we're all women oh i'm old oh i'm not as good as this person oh this i'm not skinny i'm not this i'm not that you know all those things i just i finally just put to the side and i went 
I just said, we're going for it. We're going 100%. And if it doesn't work with me trying my 100%, then, you know, then we'll deal with that when it comes. But I feel like sometimes in the past, I have not tried my best because I'm actually afraid of failing. Like, the worst case scenario could be, if I tried my hardest and I didn't make it or I didn't succeed, then what? I don't have any excuses like, oh, I didn't prepare enough or, you know, I didn't know, I didn't understand. You know how we kind of make excuses or justifications sometimes? Well, I decided I'm not going to sabotage myself. I'm going to put everything I have into it. I'm going to spend the money. I'm only going to work with professionals and I'm going to do what I need to do and think the universe, it seems to be working, ladies. It seems to be working. <laughs> well, that is an incredible story. I'm curious, who were your influences when you were young, and how has that evolved? Well, Karen Carpenter has always been, you know, my... Uh, Karen Carpenter, she's older. I don't know if a lot of your listeners would remember her or not. Um, I do. She's a singer and a drummer, and she's just, her voice melts you. And she was very unassuming, uber-talented. I'm also, so she was always my inspiration um, to sing and play. And, of course, Sheila E. is my other inspiration. She's like my queen. Um, I'm just in complete awe of her. I see, I've actually had the... uh I was fortunate enough to see her with Ringo Starr's band, the All-Star Band. Oh, you're kidding. And it was great. And then also over at NAMM show. But, yeah, she, I was just going to ask you, or before you mentioned Sheila E., I, I was sure she had to be some sort of influence on you. She is with everybody, no matter what instrument you're playing or, or really who you are in life. She's just a great inspiration. Well, and she, if you follow her, of course, I follow her on social media. She's just so positive. And she is, you know, and that's the mindset that I always want to keep. So people like that are people that are inspiring to me. You know, the people that choose to be positive, even when you're presented with challenges. You know, we all have choices of where to go in our brains. And I just, it's like going to church. I need people, you know, to to keep giving me that positive feedback so I, I stay focused. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, I, I think that I just read something about that the other day that it, it's, it's critical, actually, for your life to work in the right directions that you stay on that positive note. You set yourself back when you start thinking in a negative framework. So you're on the right path, girl. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Okay. Um, other women supporting me because, you know, that's one of those things, too. A lot of women, because of the way we're socialized, we all, a lot of us seem to think that it, we need to put other women down to rise, and that is not the case. So I'm always so appreciative of women, of women that um, have enough confidence in themselves to cheer on other women. Like, those are the people I want to surround myself with. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Now, you made a comment on Facebook the other night about a milestone in your business. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh my God. So guess what? You two are the first people to hear this, okay? I'm literally like, you guys are letting the cat out of the bag. I decided not to post anything until we did this interview um, that have happened. So one of the things that I've realized um, in this business, and I'm sorry if you hear snoring in the background, that's freedom, I should sue. <laughs> Sorry. And just in case you hear uh, snoring, that would be her. Anyways, so. <laughs> I have five dogs. I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> they're my most. They're my studio dogs. Um, all of my students, you know, they have to like dogs because the dogs are here with me. They're like my little emotional support studio dogs. <laughs> oh, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> um. Anyway, so what I realized early on is that, you know, most businesses have to keep growing, okay, um, you know, to stay relevant. Um, and one of the things with a band is you can't grow two Rosies. You can't grow two Chrissies. Like, you, there's, no, there's nothing you could do, you know. You can't um, copy a person. So the only way to expand our ability to increase the number of bookings is to create an A and a B band. So um, last Saturday on the 11th of February was the first time I was able to take two Pulp Fiction gigs on one night. And we, I was able to, and I'll, I'll explain the way I did it. So we had a gig at Paula Casino, our number one customer, um, that have really helped me grow my business um so they've they've just i've been working for them for 10 years and i can't tell you how thankful i am um for the support of i mean my entertainment manager director and the ceo of the company i mean that is a company that everyone would want to work for in my opinion so i was able to present my my a lineup um, to Paula Casino, my number one customer, and I was able to um, curate a B band um, to take another show on the same night, and that was a, that's a, a really big deal for a band because, as you know, Kat, you have so much history working with bands. There's chemistry, right? You know, the, the way that musicians work together. So. Um, after losing one of my lead singers earlier last year, I was forced to find subs. And at the level, the playing level that and are at at this time, like I don't, I don't have beginners anymore in this band, including myself. I was a, I consider myself a complete beginner when I started my band. But there's no, we're at the level now that. Um, you know, we learn songs too fast. We have too much, you know, stage presence. We have too much coordination, medleys, mashups, you know, it's a, this whole thing. So I really needed, now I needed this high level of musician. But this level of musician, these are touring musicians. These are artist level musicians, right? So I had to really um, change my mindset about it has to be the same people all the time. That is what makes Pulp Vixen. And I had to change my mindset to Pulp Vixen is really about empowering people, empowering ourselves, 
and people through our music, you know? So all I need to make sure of is that every woman that is in my band, that is representing my band, shares the same ideals. I don't have time for a musician who thinks they're so great they don't have to talk to fans or they don't have to help or they you know are really too good and we're lucky to have them sharing the stage with us like you know I'm not I don't have time for gossipers or people that like uh, vibrate at a lower energy level I don't know a lower vibration mm-hmm. I don't know if that you um, but I am interested in women and females that are interested in the same thing that the three of us are, elevating ourselves and others. And so I was finally able to find women that shared our ideals, and I was able to curate a second band. Um, and it, they both, both of the gigs went fabulously. We were asked back by our um, second, like our customer, that was the second gig. And so I couldn't be more thrilled um, because we kind of did the impossible and I'm looking forward to building our brand even more and reaching, um, you know, new places. I have been turning down gigs for so long because I can only take one or max two gigs in a day, right? because the girls just get tired. There's only so much time in a day. But now I don't have to try to look for another band for my clients. I can give them Pulp Fiction, you know? Oh, so that was awesome. a pretty major milestone for us. That is great. That Oh, good for you. I am so happy for you on that is that is like almost an impossible feat for a lot of people and you you pulling it off. That's wonderful. The impossible dream. And you know what? We have to have a we have to meet up and have a margarita together. It's been a while since we've gotten yes. together. The last time we were talking about everything you wanted to do um, with this radio show, and I am so happy you're finally here and active and getting this going again because I really believe in your brand. I think it's so great. I'm so happy you're doing this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, let's get together here real soon. I'm always up for a margarita. I know we can celebrate all of our wins. Yes, and we'll bring Gay along and you bring yeah. Ross. Oh, I, I finally get to meet Gay. Too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, as we wrap this up, uh, if you had a message to give to your fans, one message, what would it be? My message is, uh, I'm just a talker, there's so much I want to say, but, you know, don't be afraid, don't be afraid to go for what you want, you know, don't let fear stop you, you know, there's there's enough challenges that we have in life, don't be the one don't you know? Don't stop yourself. Don't sabotage yourself. That is an um, awesome message. with people that are supportive and believe in you, and and just baby step it to the finish line. Baby step it, just like Bob. Did you guys ever see What About Bob? Oh yeah. Um, yes, it's one of the classics, all time, and it's like baby step baby to step. the elevator, baby step to the hall. Just do little. If you guys do one thing a day towards your business or to your goal, no matter how large or small, you will get there. So don't stop.
Wasn't that a great interview with Chrissy? I'm, I, I, I'm envious. I wish I could have been there. Uh, she is just, just so wonderful. Uh, her whole outlook, and all stemming um, really from the loss of her dad. Yeah. Which happens to you know, it gets a lot of people going. Well, it really and, was very inspiring and motivational. And the song "Spread Love," uh, she said that it was a a. The co-wrote with the band. Yeah, and, so uh, everyone had a hand. And it really reflects them uh, individually and as a collaborative of empowerment for ourselves as well as for others. And that's really her message. And it's a, what a powerful message. 
Yeah, very inspiring, very uplifting, and um, yeah, it, it really was a uh, a great interview. Uh, yeah, I came away feeling really good about life, where you want to go, what you want to do, and how to get there. It was great. I can't wait to have her back on, and we're going to have uh, Roseanne. Yeah, eventually. one of her bandmates. Yep, and she is a tremendous guitarist. Oh my so, gosh! Oh, yeah, and Chrissy, of course, on the drums. Yep, what a what a power duo. They are in life and in music. Well, Chrissy kind of uh, indicated to us that he, she was very inspired by that that group of women. I, I want to say they came from the eighties. The uh, the Vanity, the Apollonia, the sort of princess girls. I would call right. it Sheila E. For one, Sheila yeah. E. Who was in Prince's band, amazing percussionist, followed in the footsteps of her dad. Pete Escovedo. So Sheila E. is actually Sheila Escovedo and uh, just a phenomenal musician. I met her dad and the family, the Escovedo family, are, are music uh, music group of their own. I met them at NAMM show actually at the Remo booth. And, and uh, the NAMM show is coming up in the very near future, isn't it? May? A- April. April. Kat's a legend there. <laughs> she is. <laughs> So speaking of uh, Prince as girls and Prince in general, uh, Tom, go ahead and tell us about Prince's uh, influence on music and some interesting things that we maybe didn't know about. Well, Prince, <laughs> he really is legendary, and uh, he, he's known for so many things. He, he was actually one of the, the most incredible rock guitar players on this planet. I mean, if you see what he did with George Harrison and I think Eric Clapton, uh, I'm, I'm pulling this off the top of my head so i'm probably screwing it up but uh well prince basically uh used a number of different names Uh, i believe that there were contractual problems with writing the song and sing and being a portion uh singing the song and and uh in writing it so he wrote under several interesting names for several interesting people tom why don't you fill us in on those Okay. Tom is a Tom is a country <laughs> fan, so I I had to say that among I think, other genres, not not but, just country. Yeah, I know, but you, you but that that's uh, that's particularly uh, something that you like, and I know that. So I thought the uh, interesting song that Prince wrote for Kenny Rogers, "You're My Love." It, again, Prince used several different names. He used. He used Coco. Alexander Nevermind. Uh, you know, of course, you're familiar with Sheena Easton. And he wrote her hit, Sugar Walls, but he wrote it under the name of Alexander Nevermind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that he, was Prince. He also, he also wrote things under the name of Coco. Uh, Coco showed up on several of Sheena Easton's tracks in the 1980s. Most notable, the 1988 album, The, the Lover, Lover in and Me. Me. Uh, Prince is listed as producer on the release. Coco is solely credited for penning the songs 101 and Cool Love. And the Bangles. Of course, you remember the Bangles. And uh, the the song Manic Monday was attributed to Christopher. No, not Christopher. That was Prince. That was Prince. He he really played under... He always played games with names, and I always thought it was interesting. And it was great... Until he came up with something no one could pronounce. <laughs> well, he well, the symbol. Yeah, he w- he went by the symbol, and it was the artist formerly known as exactly. Prince. Exactly. 
Here we go. I finally found Kenny Rogers. Uh, the You're My Love, and I'm still not familiar with that song, but that's okay. That was penned under the, the name of Joey Coco. Yes, and so in that Vanity. was actually, uh, yeah, Coco was in fact Prince. Yes, and uh, Vanity, uh, the Vanity Six, had a hit song in the 1982, uh, released Nasty Girl. Uh, it was another track written by the artist and produced by The Star Company, which again was Prince. Very cool. And then Vanity Six became Apollonia six years later. And their songs followed suit, written by Prince, but credited to the Star Company. So there's just a whole bunch of stuff going on with Prince. A lot of secret doorways, if you will. Well, he played numerous instruments. I think something like 20 or something 30. like that. But guitar, yeah. he just was. Oh, yeah, incredible. Um, I think he wrote his first song at age seven on the piano. I'm not surprised. Brilliant, brilliant musician and songwriter. And uh, so. he is dearly missed, as is Raquel Welch, who we just lost in the past week. Ah, oh, yes. And you think back to uh, a million years B.C. when she was in her doe-skin bikini. <laughs> I think she only had like three lines in that whole movie, too. <laughs> but she's immortalized in it. Well, that's the one that, that made her a sex symbol, and right. I think that was her second movie, I think it was. First or second. Might have been her second. And... Um, yeah, she went on. She she got a Golden Globe for the Three Lines. No, 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 no. For another movie she was in. Um, okay, the movie I was thinking of that she got the Golden uh, she, Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy was 1973, The Three Musketeers. There you go. And I should know that because I just saw it on TV. They've been talking a lot about her career. Yep. And. One million years BC. Right. Yeah, that was a big one for her. Nineteen sixty six. Yep. Her first movie, nineteen sixty four, House is Not a Home. Roused about. She did two movies that one year. Uh, played a college girl. Yep. A Swing in Summer in nineteen sixty five. And then in nineteen sixty six she was a busy girl with Fantastic <laughs> Voyage. Sex she, Quartet. <laughs> shoot loud. Louder, I don't understand. Sex Quartet, One Million Years B.C. And that just goes on and on. Well, she yeah, will be she missed. Has, she has worked and worked and worked. And to be a working actress for that many years is very, very much a, a feat. And uh, oh, uh, One thing I've got to say about her, that Hugh Hefner wanted her for Playboy. <laughs> and she did, but she refused to do nude. Good for her. Good for her. She didn't need to. She no, said she, didn't. she was brought up um, by. Uh, she went by her mother's rules, mm -hmm. which apparently was, you know, and let I'm your mind. Sure that Hugh offered her the world. Yep, but I understand her daughter did pose later mm -hmm. for for Playboy. Oh well, we each follow our own path. That's exactly true. So well, are we going to play the game of food? We're going to play the game of food. Let's do it. All right. Let me reach into this <clears throat> little bag or, or box of tricks here. This is a really fun little card game that <clears throat> I think was a Christmas gift for you. From my daughter. From your daughter, Allie. So the topic this week, we're probably going to do a few of these, is uh, regional dishes. What method of preparation is key to a proper mission-style burrito? Is it A, toasting the rolled burrito on a griddle until crisp? steaming the tortilla before rolling the burrito, 
topping the rolled burrito with chili sauce, or dipping the tortilla in hot chili oil before rolling the burrito? I would say D. I'd say D. Answer is B, steaming the tortilla before rolling the burrito. Oh, okay. I'm well, excused. I, do that. I should have known that's what I do. So. I'm excused, Kat. You're the, you're the cook. All right. And baker. Well, and when you said mission, I got went into another All right, mode. here we go. This might be a little more friendly category. This is people and pop culture. Mm. Apparently, milk isn't white on the planet Tatooine. What color is Luke Skywalker's beverage of choice? Is it A, green, B, red, C, purple, or D, blue? Luke Skywalker's color of his favorite beverage. I'm going to guess red. I was going to say purple. (coughs) Blue. We had almost a 50-50 there, Kat. We lost (laughs) both of them. We're doing great, aren't we? One more or are we done? Okay, one more, one more. All right. Uh, Reaching into here. I'm going into the back because these are categories that we don't get to as often. All righty. So this is uh, regional dishes. Okay, well, it's regional dishes again. Uh, Beef and pork half-smoke hot dogs smothered in chili sauce are a calling card of this city. I know the answer, so I won't give any clues. It's Is it A, New Orleans, Louisiana, B, Cincinnati, Ohio, C, Charleston, South Carolina, or D, Washington, D.C.? Beef and pork half-smoked hot dogs smothered in chili sauce. Louisiana is where I would go. Uh, I knew it would be something obvious. Cincinnati, Charleston, South Carolina, or Washington, D.C.? South Carolina. Washington, D.C.? Oh, no. Yep. That's what's wrong with those politicians. They're full of gas. Up there. <laughs> That's so it. So there we have the game of food. The game of food. I don't know. Should we should we uh, go over the funnies for the day, or do we want to save that for next week? Um, we can save that for next Let's week. Let's get on okay. with our, uh, our next guest, Mr. Jeff Stevens. Oh, boy. And we're all so excited about this. Jeff... Uh, I read about him. I got an email talking about a new book that he had just published called The Handler. And so I reached out to his publicist, and uh, Jeff wrote, he emailed me. Uh, His name on the book is Jeffrey Stevens, but he was instantly Jeff when we connected. Uh, Within days, I had a copy of The Handler. I've been uh, just eating it up. It's a a real page-turner. It's a spy thriller. And I would have to say he's probably one of the best guests that we've had to date. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear our visit with uh, Jeff Stevens. I can't wait to read his book. <laughs> we've had some great authors on. I want to read all their books. We really have. We've had uh, three phenomenal okay. authors. Some really good ones. So, yeah, let's get on with our interview with Jeff. Good afternoon. And we are just uh, thrilled uh, to have our guest, Jeff Stevens, on the phone. Jeff, I've been reading your latest novel, the Handler, and wow. Thank you. This Thank is, you for having me. This is your seventh novel, is that correct? Seventh this public. is my seventh published novel. Yes, it is. And uh, so this one focuses on, is Nick Reagan a new character? Yes. Um, the first, it's a, it's a crazy background story in my writing career, but my first four novels almost accidentally were spy thrillers, with a, uh, a main character based on someone that I knew in the CIA. Oh, wow. And 
Yeah, yeah, that's it was very interesting. And and then I departed and I wrote a sexy murder mystery and then I wrote a very personal story about an international treasure hunt. And then I thought it was time to get back to espionage. So then rather than going back to Jordan Sandor, I wanted to create a new character because Nick Reagan, who is the main character, as you know, in The Handler, has a female partner. And I thought it would be really neat to write, because, uh, you know, there's not enough of that. You know, espionage is always about guys. You know, it's James Bond and Jason Bourne. And I thought it would be neat to have a female character where it didn't follow the usual trajectory. In other words, they don't fall into bed together. There's no romantic relationship. Carol Gellos, who is Nick Reagan's partner, is tough as nails, and she is based on someone in real life. And um, I just had a great time creating her, and as a result, I'm working on the sequel. Well, bravo for you. Thank you for breaking the mold and, and uh, stepping off the ledge a little bit. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Carol's t Carol's a tough cookie, and the woman she's based on in real life is very smart and very competent, and I just don't think there's enough of that in action-type novels and movies and so forth. I, and I'm not getting on a, a soapbox about this, um, but I, I just feel like it's more interesting because women have a lot of qualities and this is going to sound sexist but a lot of qualities that men don't have and such as you know analyzing situations better and so i just thought carol would be a great character and so i'm having a lot of fun with her and this book just starts off with a bang i think nick gets kidnapped either at the end of chapter one or the beginning of chapter two you you don't let up do you no this is this is intended as a page turner it's sort of a ripped from the headlines book about the current world we live in uh, the the dangers of uh, terrorism and the you know the exigencies of government and what our intelligence agencies do and don't do and so i i just thought it would be fun and also you know i'll tell you guys i wrote this i began writing this book during the pandemic and and as i say i had just come off a personal book and I thought, you know, we're all housebound. I mean, I certainly was. And I said, I really want to write a book that, you know, is a little bit globe-hopping. So, as you know, The Handler takes us from China to Paris to, uh, to Pakistan to Las Vegas to New York City. And I just thought that would be fun for people to just, you know, take those journeys with me. And I, I had a wonderful, and I don't want to sound like an ego or anything like that, but, you know, I had a wonderful compliment from a woman I ran into the other day who had read the book. And she said, you know, it was so much fun was that you really put us in all of these places. And I said, that's the greatest compliment because I'm not big on description. I'm not Thomas Wolfe. I, I don't want to write 20 pages on standing on a train station. But I do want people to get the feeling that, you know, when they're in the Hotel Bristol in Paris, that they're really there. And so I worked hard on that, and it was appreciated. Well, it paid off, and, it, and it, it, every bit of that is true. You paint a wonderful picture, uh, but you don't uh, gloss around it. You, you get to the point, but you, your readers still knows where you are, and uh, bravo, I can't wait to finish it, and I can't wait to read some of your other books, and I want to touch on, I'm going to bring Gaia and Kat in, you're uh, also a, uh, 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 you have a legal practice, and you have a book out called The Road to Splitsville, tell me a little bit about that. You know, that's kind of interesting, you know, um, my background is, um, I grew up a poor kid in a tenement in the Bronx, 
And what I always wanted to be was, you know, a great novelist. I wanted to be Fitzgerald and Hemingway, and a lot of us grew up with those dreams. My dad, who didn't always give me the greatest advice in life, but he did tell me, you know, son, that's all terrific, but you better figure out a way to make a living. Mm -hmm. What's your second choice? <laughs> so plan B, plan B, as I went on. I was the first, I mean, I was the first person in my entire family to go to college, for example, but... Um, my plan B was to be a lawyer. I had seen a lot of those shows on TV, everything from, I don't know, the Defenders to Perry Mason to L.A. Law, whatever. And um, I said, okay, you know, and he said, well, that's a good idea. You know, and if you want to continue to write, you do that. So I've had a wonderful and storied uh, legal practice. I've met a lot of terrific people, and I feel very fortunate to have been blessed by, by those connections and by the people who helped me along the way. And I continued to write. And so in the last few years, I, I don't do a lot of divorce. I've done divorce for friends. I've done some celebrity divorces. And what happened was I looked at our legal system, and everybody knows. I'm not, I'm not saying anything to your listeners that, that they don't know, but our legal system is broken. I mean, you know, it takes years to litigate a case. Uh, you know, you can't afford to sue people because lawyers charge too much money and so forth. But the worst of it for me was the matrimonial bar. That's the worst of it because whether they intend to or not, they feed off the misery of people because divorce is horrible. I mean, you marry because you're in love normally. I mean, you know, most people marry because they're in love and, and they have this great relationship and then people grow apart or, or they make mistakes or they have affairs or do drugs or, or drink alcohol or whatever it is. And then the marriage and then the magic ends. And you should not be punished by having legal expenses run out of control, by fighting with your soon-to-be ex-spouse, with upsetting your children and all of that. So one day, I was talking to a psychologist friend of mine, Ron Raymond, and I said, you know, I've got this idea for a book, which is called The Road to Splitsville. <laughs> Am I talking too much, by the way? No, Am I going on too much? Great. Okay, Keep good. Going. Okay, so anyway, so I said, you know, I have this idea. I really want to help people. I want to help them navigate the journey through the legal system without overpaying lawyers. I want to tell them all the secrets that they should know about hiring a lawyer and handling a lawyer because people forget, you know, lawyers and doctors, people forget they work for us. It's sort of like the guys in the government last night when you saw the State of the Union, you know, oh. these jerks work for us. We don't work for them, right? Exactly. <laughs> in case anybody missed that. Anyway, so I said to Ron, I really want to, I really want to reach out to people and see if we can help. And he said, you know what, I'd be interested in that. And so I had written kind of the skeleton of the book, and I said, I want your input from the psychological point of view. And we collaborated on this book. It's got a lot of questionnaires, a lot of interactive stuff in there, a lot of self-examination. And the, my favorite part of it is that at the end, we try and help you realize that your journey to happiness is right in front of you, even though you've gone through this. You don't have to hate your ex-spouse, even though you hate them. You don't have to live out of that hate. You don't have to keep reliving the agony that they created. You don't have to damage your children. You don't have to spend your children's college tuition on lawyers. There's a path ahead. And so we wrote, we, uh, wrote the uh, Road to Splitstone and it just came out. That is fantastic. After you published your first book, did, did, what did you learn from that? Were, were there 
epiphanies or changes in style? Tell me a little about that. All right. Well, do you, you want the real story or just the, the Reader's Digest version? You want the real story? Oh, we want the goods. We want the goods. Okay, we want this the is... <laughs> all right, this is crazy. This is cra you, you will think I am making this up, but this is a true story. I swear to you. So here's what happened. I was playing golf 20 years ago or so, and one of the guys in the group is a friend of mine. I was playing with somebody I didn't know. His name was Bob, and he said... This, my friend said, you know, Bob, you're a literary agent and Jeff is a writer. You guys should get together. And so, okay, we did. And we wound up becoming fast friends. He was a lot older than I, but he was an experienced guy. And he said, so what have you got? And I gave him this book, and he tried to sell it everywhere. And he, he just couldn't sell it. He just couldn't sell it. So he said, what else have you got? And I said, well, I've got this book. I wrote about a friend of mine who I found out worked for the CIA part-time. He used to work for Philip Morris, and he would travel the world, but he was actually a former Green Beret, and he was actually a James Bond-type guy. And I wrote a book about it. He said, well, let me see it. He sold it in a minute. He sold it to an outfit called iBooks. It has nothing to do with Apple, by the way. That's an important part of the story. He sold it to iBooks. So I was so, I tell you, I was like a kid on Christmas Eve. I was so excited. This was the greatest moment of my life. And with this editor, this young woman, Megan, I'll never forget her. She was, del she was delightful. And we worked on this book, and we did the editing and all this. And I was finally done, and I called her up. I called her up, and I said, Megan, it's Jeff. I've got great news for you. I finished the, the, the complete edit, the complete rewrite of the book. And she burst out in tears <laughs> and said, you're not going to believe this. But a guy walked into our office today and announced that the company has gone bankrupt. No. Oh, my God. Okay, no, wait. No, it gets better. It okay. gets better. Because as a lawyer, as a lawyer, the cold ice ran down my spine. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, since they gave you this small advance on your novel, actually your novel has become an asset in bankruptcy. So I'm going to give you a, a, a revised edition of this because it goes on forever. For a year and a half, for a year and a half, my books was in bankruptcy. So my book sat there. And then finally, it came out of bankruptcy and was bought by a delightful gentleman who decided he wanted to be a publisher, except he knew nothing about publishing. But he said to me, Jeff, your book is going to be the crown jewel of my new publishing company. And of course, he didn't know how to edit, he didn't know how to create a, a cover, he didn't know how to do anything. He was a great guy, and the book completely flopped. Uh -huh. So there I am, now I'm a year and a half plus into the program, I've got this book, my agent and I are pulling our hair out, we're saying, what are we gonna do? And I start talking to this wonderful woman down in Houston, Texas. You can't make this stuff up, I'm telling you. <laughs> and she's, she's a public relations person, and she's got one of the top PR companies for books in the country. It's called Ascot Media Group. And anybody listening out there who's interested in, in promoting their books, go with Ascot Media Group. Run, do not walk. But in the meantime, her name is Trish. Trish Stevens, no relation to me, because she spells it with a V, and by the way, I spell mine with a PH. And so what happened was, she, she, I was moaning and groaning about this, because she wanted to help me. She said, you know, I know this publisher who might be interested. Well, P.S., he publishes the book anew. We, we give it a new name, a new cover, and the book goes wild, goes wild.
it's just like so now to get to your to get to your um question about how i reacted the book sold so well that simon and schuster got in touch with my agent and said we want to give jeff a two-book deal to write the next two books in this series i didn't know it was a series i thought i wrote a book about a guy who was a spy right anyway and so this is a true story this is a movie moment i, I live in connecticut i'm not far from new york and I'm in New York quite often. I went down there and I stood in front of the Simon and Schuster building and I had tears in my eyes. And I said, after all these years, my dream has come true. I wish my father had lived to see it. And I'm now going to be published by Simon and Schuster. And and that was it. And so, so my first book was Targets of Deception. And it sold great. And then we did three more books, as I say, with Jordan Sandor as the character. And then we did Crimes and Passion, a sexy murder mystery. We did Fool's Errand about my father and me and this international jewel heist and, uh, and I shouldn't say jewel heist but international treasure hunt basically and now I've gone back and I've written a new character in espionage which is number seven and I'm working on the sequel so that is the very long-winded answer I apologize I'm a wordy guy but that's the answer to what it was like and for anybody who writes out there never give up your dreams never give up hope someday it'll happen and when it happens the exhilaration is indescribable. That's the answer. Jeff, no, it's great. The publishing industry is the worst. You're better off going into garbage collection <laughs> or recycling. I'm telling you, the publishing industry is the absolute worst. But anyway, but you know, I write because I love it, and, and so I keep writing. Well, I, I'm I'm delighted to hear that, and I hope to see you on on the big screen one of these days. These books should be made into movies. Yeah, we hope so. We had we had one movie deal, um, and uh, for very tragic reasons, it did not it did not come to pass. It had nothing to do with me, and that's another sad story. <laughs> but but the point is that now we're we're looking for new people uh, who might be interested. And um, as you know from the handler, since you've looked at it, I mean, you know, the Nick Reagan character and the Carol Gellis character are terrific, and I really think they resonate with people. And hopefully, you know, we'll keep growing. Terrific. Last, last thing I want to say, though, is if you're not getting divorced, don't read the road. We'll have a big audience for that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. It's, as I say, as a lawyer and, and, and Ron is a psychologist, it's really sad because, you know, half of divorce, excuse me, half of marriages end in divorce in this country. And those are the people we're trying to help. But as we say at the beginning of the book, I'm not taking on any new uh, clients for divorce. He's not taking on any new patients. We're not doing it for that reason. We're doing that to try and help. It's not an expensive book. If you want to look for it, Jeffrey Stevens is with a PH. My website is jeffreystevens.com. There's also, with a PH in Stevens, there's also a road, the road to splitsville.com is our, is our uh, website for that. And I tell you, we really hope to help people with that. As, and I hope to entertain people with my novels. I love it. I have a question for you. Um, you said sure. one of your characters is based on a um, real-life person. Is that person uh, a friend or is that a celebrity? And if your, no. movies are, or your books are made into movies, who do you see playing uh, your, your main characters? That's a, that's, those are great questions. First of all, I think as a writer in my novels, all, almost all of my characters are based in some part on people that I know. And obviously the protagonist, whether it's Nick Reagan or Jordan Sandor, 
are in part based on me, but Jordan Sander was definitely based on a guy who was in the CIA and is now deceased. He served our country in Vietnam. He was, a, he was a, as I say, he was a, um, a Green Beret. He, he was injured there. He came back. He did a lot of great service for the United States, and he passed away from cancer, I'm sad to say. But, um, but all my characters on some level are based on someone that I know. And, I, I mean, you know, going forward... I think that's what I'll always do because in my mind, when I write, I have to sort of visualize who these people are and I don't just want to make someone up. And so I have a lot of fun doing that. Now, if you're asking me who would, like for example, in The Handler, who would play Nick Reagan, since Nick Reagan is, is partly me, I'd like it to be somebody extraordinarily handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There was a time, you know, in, in younger days when you, you'd name certain people. But I don't know. I have actually thought about that. Um, and there are people that I could see playing that role. And, you know, I just think, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, I could see, like, Ryan Gosling would make a good uh, character. And, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is too, like, comical, I think, in his approach. But somebody like Ryan Gosling, who's got a serious edge, I think because, you know, obviously when you're in the spy business, it is serious and it is life and death. And these people live in the shadows and work in the shadows. And it is not James Bond in a tuxedo swilling a martini. That is not what they do. And so you need somebody who's serious. Well, Gosling is definitely serious. I've, I've uh, yeah. been involved with a lot of different projects with him. and Oh, really? He is, I'm impressed. Um, no, I, I, but he's very serious, very guarded, very uh, a lot of things. So that would be an interesting choice for sure. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. It sounds to me like, like, like you write different types of books, like... like uh, the recent one about marriage being helping people and others being thrillers for entertainment. What inspires you? What uh, how, do you change well, gears mid? How, how, how does that happen? That's a wonderful question. So here's the thing: the the, the road to Splitsville obviously is nonfiction, and it is my first nonfiction endeavor, and the first time I ever collaborated with anybody. Um, what inspires me are the, I guess, are the things that interest me. <clears throat> Fool's Errand, which, as I say, is one of my favorites, it was really a, a look at a relationship between a young man and a father who was deceased but still held sway over him because, as, as I say in that book, you know, our parents never stop influencing us, influencing us, excuse me, regardless of how long they're gone. I mean, let's face it. They are the biggest uh, molders of who we are in those early years, and how our parents feel about us is very much reflected in how we feel about ourselves. And so I really I wanted to write a book about that, and I thought that I had an idea, and the, the, and the story of, of, as you say, inspiration, the story I came up with with Fool's Errand was this. Have you ever had these conversations with people like, if you could spend one day with somebody who no longer exists, who would it be? You've ever had that conversation? Oh, what a great question. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, in the college dorm, we talk about that or whatever back in the day. And some people would say, well, I'd like to speak with Jesus Christ, assuming you could get through the language barrier, mm -hmm. or I'd like to meet Winston Churchill. 
But a lot of people say, God, I, I just wish I could have one more day with my mother or one more day with my father. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, you know, that, you know, that touches the heartstrings. So I, I had this idea, and, and this is, where, you know, it's funny where books come from. I had this idea. What if there's a young man whose father's deceased, and he finds a box of papers in the attic of the family home, and in it is a letter that his father wrote to him just before he died six years ago, and he had never known the letter existed, and he opens the letter, and the letter says, in effect, that I, I hope no one else gets this letter but you, son, but here's what you need to know. You know, I know I've done a lot of bad things and a lot of things that didn't work out, and you think that maybe some of my dreams were, were false, but there is this one thing, this one thing that you need to pursue for me, and you know the people to go to. I don't want to name them in the letter, but, you know, do your best, basically. I mean, I'm, giving, I'm paraphrasing. So now here you've got this guy. He's 30 years old. He's a workaday guy. He's a straight shooter. His father was a little wacky, as you can tell from the letter, and now he's got a choice. He could put the letter back in the envelope, and he could put it away and say, I'll always miss Dad. Or he could treat this as that one more day that he had to interact with his dad. And so what do you think he does? Come on. The name of the book is Fool's Errand. I'll give you one guess. <laughs> I don't know. One more okay, you got it. Yeah. You got it. So, <laughs> so anyway, so he, he seeks out his father's best friend, who's now a retired guy out in Las Vegas, and it turns out that there's something about some money that got put away, and now the son wants to take care of his mother and himself, and he wants to fulfill his father's dream, and so he winds up going from New York to Las Vegas and winds up in the south of France in a story that harks all the way back to the Second World War, and I said, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> This is fun. I mean, you know, because I miss my own dad, and he did die young. And so it's very autobiographical in that sense. I mean, a lot of it is not real. But anyway, so that's kind of what inspired me, and it turned into – it was the easiest book I ever wrote. I, I just – you know, I loved every minute of it, and people who read it just say, oh, my God. You know, when they finish reading that book, what do you think the first thing they do is? The first thing they do is, if they're lucky enough to have a surviving parent, they get on the phone, they call their mother or their father. That, and, and when I get emails like that, I say, wow, that's exactly what I was looking for. So that's inspiration. Jeff, thanks so much, and, and we really honestly look forward to having you back someday. Well, thank you, guys. This was a pleasure. Really, really, truly, I've been looking forward to this. Have a great evening. Have a, you know, stay healthy, everybody, because that's the name of the game. And uh, let me know what you think of the books. So that okay. was a great interview with Jeff, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Stevens. God, I, I can't wait to have him back. And I really hope, I'd love to see his uh, stories get into a movie for him. Oh, I know. God, that'd be wonderful. Right up there with uh, The Born Identity and uh, yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey. No. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but yeah, it'd be fabulous. Jack Reacher, I think, wasn't that? Uh, yep, I think that's it. I was fascinated that his characters were based on his real life yeah. CIA friends. There's that. That's that's incredible. And he's an attorney, which made me think yeah. more of John Grissom. You know that he would be more on those right. lines, but he's he's similar but gone in further than I think than John Grissom. So I'm anxious to read his book. So, Gaya, do you have today's quote of the day? I do. Beans are both cat. 
Tom and myself are all photographers. We wanted to leave you with the quote of the day, which is focus on what's important, capture the good times, develop the negatives, and if things don't work out, take another shot. Well said. Bravo. Next week, we've got some big news we're going to be announcing, so you're going to have to stay tuned and find out what it is. I'm excited about it. It's big. It's fun. Speaking of next week, we have uh, Cindy Clute, who uh, has written a, a book recently called No Caller ID. It's an exciting mystery, murder mystery. Uh, she'll be sharing her clues, and uh, we are sure to have at least one other guest. So um, I want to thank you for listening, and have a great week. Kat, Gaya, what, anything else? Well, we want to thank our sponsors, Quick Tech Computer Services, Sassy Mamas, and Wynormous. Uh, so next week's going to be really exciting. Can't wait for you to tune in. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Thank you. It's a wrap. Slow. Don't get ahead. Just jump into a you are here about a baby fixing to do it. Get started.